Welcome to the first episode of Brain Buzz Podcast. We are your hosts, Drake and Kyle. I'm Drake. And I'm Kyle. Brain Buzz Podcast was created to make research accessible and engaging. In every episode, we'll speak with researchers and explore new and exciting topics in ways that will make your brain buzz. Part of the reason that we have put together this podcast is that a lot of the research that we that we deal with and that we consume on a regular basis as part of our jobs um, isn't designed to be approachable to the average to you know an average person and you know we are average people ourselves but we have expertise in a very specific niche and and that niche is not always communicated all that well and so part of what we want to do here is uh, be able to introduce topics and ideas and literature and research to the every person and bring it to them and present it in a way that is really enjoyable and it becomes uh, not a chore or a necessity but something that they can actually really enjoy and hopefully in that sense we're educational about what we do and hopefully entertaining <laughs> that's the play right that's the plan <laughs> and so the structure that we are trying to aim for i think uh is we want to showcase these interesting people that are doing really cool research uh and showcase them uh, on a weekly basis so we are by all extension we're an interview podcast right yeah absolutely i mean we're an interview podcast with the hope of introducing our audience to ideas and concepts and people truly i think um what we're looking at here is introducing people to people and breaking down the idea of uh, the researcher is somebody who lives in their ivory tower and has no concept of what life is like. Um, hopefully you'll realize that that's very much not the case and that we are very average people and that we do work that to, to many is sort of just there. It doesn't need to be consumed. It doesn't need to be thought about. But uh, I think the world could be a little bit more interesting with uh, people walking around with these ideas in the back of their minds. Yeah, and we can learn a lot from people that aren't in our field as well, right? So Absolutely. Um, I think that as a show or as a podcast, we kind of want to solicit some feedback from our viewers and, and know what you guys are interested in and know what topics you guys want us to talk about as well. Um, obviously, we will try our best <laughs> to accommodate <laughs> for an audience that, right now doesn't exist <laughs> um but i think that we have a lot of connections with people that are really doing some interesting work that i think people will be interested in hearing about yeah absolutely and and um you know if, if there are topics or ideas that we don't necessarily have uh an expertise in or we don't know somebody with an expertise in, part of this is educational for us and so the opportunity to bring somebody in to uh to sit with us and chit chat and and give us an idea as to what they do and why they do it and and how they got to where they are doing that work um, would be something that we want to pursue as well. So uh, hopefully hopefully this podcast lasts more than this episode and hopefully somebody listens and then finally hopefully uh, we can bring in some really interesting people and uh, I know uh, we already have at least at least the next few guests lined up. Um, so we've, we've been told. <laughs> so we've been told. We have a little bit of interest from others. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is great. It's a lot of people were enthusiastic when we were floating this idea out. Uh, we obviously wouldn't be there, wouldn't be. Pardon me. We wouldn't be here without them. Yeah. Uh, their ideas, their 
support in many ways mm. um we'll see how many downloads this first episode gets <laughs> i will know for sure anything above 10 gets me really excited <laughs> oh yeah if 10 people listen to this Double and they're digits. not directly my relatives yeah <laughs> i'll be really i've happy. got at least 10 family members that have guaranteed they'd watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah for sure what what are we doing today who's our guest today <laughs> <laughs> our guest today is the incredibly handsome very well voiced very intelligent drake mm. levere one of your co-hosts, one of my co-hosts, but most importantly, friend and colleague uh, in the department. And uh, we're going to talk with him today about some of his research. And in doing so, we're going to learn a little bit about the work that he does uh, and how he got to where he is now, as well as we're going to think about ways in which um, his work is really applicable to to our lives and how uh, the... I don't want to tease it too much, but we want to know a little bit more about how his, how his research is important to us. And so we'll, we'll dive into it. We're going to get into some really cool topics today um, that are going to be quite a bit of fun, I think, to talk about, especially uh, for me, who comes at it from a completely different perspective, or maybe not perspective, but a sense of naivety, I really do. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be interesting to actually get a, a real nitty gritty detail of what's, what's going on in his world. So mm -hmm. uh, we'll get to that. So we're gonna do that, and we're gonna do uh, we're gonna talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that makes our podcast special and different, and hopefully interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, let's let's get at it. Okay. So part of uh, part of the joy of speaking with other researchers is that we get to learn what they do, and and um, and also you know, like we've said, we want to make this really applicable to to everyday life, and, and so. That's actually quite exciting about Drake's research in that uh, we're going to be talking a lot about relationships. Um, we're going to be talking about sex, the sex research. Ooh, yeah, taboo. <laughs> uh, and and we're going to get into sort of some of the some of the fun of all that all that work and and what the uh, where we are now in terms of our current understanding and what future directions we've got. But before we do that, what we want to start each. Uh, each sort of guest introduction with is an idea as to who they are, how they got here, and uh, what makes them sort of a person. Somebody that, somebody that you actually want to sit down and have a drink with, as opposed to somebody who you unfortunately have to read their paper or somebody is talking about their work and you don't care. So, with that in mind, Drake, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got here? First off, I'd love. If someone was forced to read my, my papers, because <laughs> that means I get one reader. <laughs> Much like this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very similar in that way. Um, yeah, thanks, Kyle. Um, so I guess we'll start early on, like before I had any clue what I was doing with my life. Um, I grew up in a very small town. Um, I think we had about 400, 500 people in total. Uh, I lived on a country road that is called mountain and there was no mountains now that i know <laughs> now that i'm in vancouver i realize that there, there were no mountains let alone one mountain <laughs> mountain mountains road on the flat land <laughs> yeah it was very flat but uh i grew up uh in a very small town and 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 for me i uh i never thought i'd be where i'm at now obviously like most people don't uh aren't, aren't really able to predict what they want to do right uh i had thought Originally, I was going to be a professional athlete, <laughs> um, but I clearly lacked something. <laughs> I can list a couple of things I lacked. Maybe it was the effort, maybe the skill, 
maybe both <laughs> and, a, and a little bit of genetics i think even though my family's got okay genetics i don't have the physical prowess that i wish i did um but uh that really was something that i just throughout my elementary school and just my young as a young kid i always thought that sports was what i was gonna do um that changed relatively drastically <laughs> of course but uh I always, I was always fascinated with relationships, um, be it family relationships, friendships, uh, when I started dating girls, <laughs> um, I was always interested in what was going on. Uh, I was, I feel like I was reflective. I'm sure everybody was, everybody had the emo stage, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I, I always felt like I was trying to understand the relationships that I was in and never really had an answer for it. Uh, and, and that kind of, I think post hoc now I've kind of attributed that as to what drew me to psychology, but I, I'm sure it wasn't, <laughs> uh, psychology as a high school student having to pick what I wanted to do as, uh, there was a lot of pressure to go into university, I felt like psychology was a sexy, is <laughs> a very sexy program because yep. there's just, I had never done anything psychology related um, and it just sounded good. Uh, so I went in thinking, okay, I'll be a teacher. I think, I think that was my first inclination. Um, I knew sports was probably not going to be what I wanted to do, <laughs> uh, realizing that I had some physical, uh, limitations yeah yeah as a as a student athlete but um well sorry to interrupt but no yeah i mean maybe we'll come maybe we'll come back to this but the idea of limitations uh and recognizing where where they are what they are uh how important they are to to the work that we do um maybe that's something that we can plan to revisit yeah no it's limitations have determined my life <laughs> and i'm sure they've determined yours as well right? oh absolutely you, you yeah. have to readjust your expectations a lot of times so that's what i did yeah. <laughs> i i went to i really went to the university of guelph i went to guelph for two years and i really had no clue what i wanted to do it, nothing was really grabbing me i decided that i wanted to do uh, i wanted to be a teacher i, I was looking at teachables uh, oh really in, I in didn't high know school that. yeah i I was thinking I would teach math. <laughs> uh, math was an okay subject for me. I always enjoyed it. Um, but then I went, I ended up transferring my, my third year to U the University of Ottawa. Uh, my family was close to Ottawa. I was homesick. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I felt like relationships were becoming more complex than ever. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to have good relationships. I didn't know what uh what a good relationship really was at that point um i was learning but uh at that point i was i was ready to kind of do something so it took you until your third year of your undergrad yeah more or less i mean absolutely yeah. i would say i would say there was no intention of continuing psychology yeah uh i i have a very uh I'm very prideful. <laughs> uh, I, if I commit to something, I need to prove that I can do it. Uh, 
and I felt I felt at that point before that point I felt like I was just doing it so that I could say I could get a degree and then turns out I decided that I actually was interested in what I was doing or what was there was something there that I could have could be interested in right okay yeah. yeah and so I think I can pin it to one class where it really stood out for me what I wanted to do which class was it is it called interpersonal relationships oh, okay so it was a third year class my good friend now and former supervisor on a on a research project jocelyn wentland dr jocelyn wentland now she was the teacher or was the professor of this class and uh she got me interested she just got me hooked into what is going on with the way that you interact with others be it a friend why do you respond to certain friends through text and then others you let that sit for five minutes or (laughs) why do you get ghosted by certain people (laughs) you go on tinder and no one wants to talk to you or something like that and and even like she the way that she conducted her class or her, her lectures they made me think damn there's actually research that's going on to 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 measure or to see why people act the way they do in their romantic relationships, sexual relationships, uh, platonic relationships, right? Right. Okay. And so that drew me in. I was I was hooked. She she talked about a study, which is funny now because it happened in Vancouver. It was the suspension bridge study? The main premise was that they had young undergrad men come and talk with this RA on the suspension bridge. And if, if anybody's seen pictures or knows what the fe- suspension bridge in Vancouver is like. The Capilano suspension bridge is quite a breathtaking experience. It's yeah. truly, uh, truly a heart palpitating <laughs> kind of moment. Exactly. And so what they were going to test was, uh, does arousal impact whether or not you are attracted to somebody? Right. And so they found that the arousal of being on a suspension bridge really impacted their ratings of how attractive this this RA was. Right. <laughs> Which is funny to me because that essentially the the premise of that whole lecture was essentially so if you're going to take someone on a date <laughs> don't just go to the movies if you're going to go to the movies make it make it a horror movie yeah, or make an it action scary. make it somewhere somewhere there's something where there's arousal right uh, and it was it was the misattribution of arousal um from the suspension bridge to the the attraction uh, of the RA yes right yeah they perceived it as attraction to yeah. the RA right okay. absolutely yeah just to clear that up yeah yeah so that that was a funny study, but it actually, it, it got me interested in, it got me thinking <laughs> about what is going on with humans? <laughs> Why are we so easily deceived? Or what is going on when it comes to relationships? Can a relationship hold up on something like that? Where it's, you're almost tricking somebody into wanting a second date or think that you're more attractive, right? Right, right. Um, so the idea of going on a Ferris wheel for a first date that's kind of where that came from was because it's increased arousal, right? That was the first study that kind of caught my eye when it came to psych. And I was kind of intrigued by what can actually be measured and what can be studied within relationships. Right. Okay. Um, Understanding sort of the scientific limits, scientific, maybe the methodology that imposes the, the limits to what we can know yeah, yeah. absolutely and in, and in this class like in that class i 
I was doing so much self-reflection afterwards about what <laughs> what the hell am I doing in my relationships? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what? Why am I acting like such a an ass <laughs> in the majority of my interactions? Right. So right. that caught that caught my interest. I think I I was I was really confused as to why I was acting so almost sheepishly to people sometimes and other times I'd be so so close to others in relationships mainly in romantic relations I was reflecting on what I had done with ex-girlfriends and things like that right (laughs) yeah what went wrong with my first girlfriend thing kind of thing like that and and should I still be with my first girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) and these like these things that sound ridiculous to me now that I've actually gotten out of that funk almost this uh, almost um a little bit of your own maturing maybe was happening at the time and that gave you some perspective now i yeah i absolutely I, I definitely i would definitely say so why don't you tell us a little bit more or why don't you tell us now a little bit about the research that you first did some of the first work that you did or, or were involved with yeah so honestly from that third year class that's when i started doing work i, I approached my professor dr jocelyn wentland and she was doing work in casual sex. She was doing casual sex research. Uh, and that was completely foreign to me. Uh, it was interesting. Of course it was interesting. It's such an interesting topic. Um, but uh, I had never really thought about it. I, Coming from a small town where I went from relationship to relationship, casual sex was an interesting topic because it was... <laughs> almost irrelevant in my life (laughs) yeah okay Uh, that's all i'm gonna say but uh it was really cool and and the work that she was doing or that she was interested in kind of circulated around uh relationships and and sex research uh and that was my first step into research in general i i joined a group a research group led by dr jocelyn wentland and from there I, we formulated a whole, whole study based on, which honestly is one of the coolest studies I've ever been a part of, I thought, uh, I think, uh, and where we wanted to, what we wanted to know was if an individual meets somebody through a certain venue, uh, would we be able to predict what their relationship will look like and how and 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 the real take-home message was how (laughs) fast will they have sex (laughs) oh it's exciting it it was a very cool idea yeah it was a very cool idea yeah absolutely i mean (laughs) what happens when you meet at the club yeah that's the bar that is exactly what we we set out to to answer and so we had a bunch of undergrad researchers with Dr. Jocelyn Wentland, uh, essentially trying to figure that out. So what we did was we did an online questionnaire and we solicited it through a a snowball, snowball, um, methodology, methodology where we basically post on Facebook, post on Twitter, post on Reddit, post on social media outlets Mm -hmm. and ask for shares. And, And this is a very basic way of, basically snowballing yeah uh 
your participants <laughs> by getting participants to share with their friends and their friends share with other friends. And, and so we ended up getting a pretty good sized uh, sample. Yeah. Uh, it was, I think it was over 3,000. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. That's incredible. And so we had individuals that had met on online avenues and offline avenues. And what we were asking was, with your last sex partner, so the person that you had sex with last, could be could be your spouse, could be your partner, could be someone random, whoever you had sex with last, what... Av- what, what venue did you meet through? Was it Tinder? Was it Plenty of Fish? Was it eHarmony? But, uh, sorry, you didn't just assess um, sort of electronic or online means. Not only, yeah, yeah. Right, so right, we right, also right. asked for people that met offline the traditional way. Did you meet at a bar? Did you meet through a friend? Did you meet at school, at work? Things like that. We We asked those questions to see. Where did you meet this person? Right. And then we asked question, the hard-hitting questions. Mm. We asked, how long from meeting that person to the bedsheets, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> we wanted to know how, how fast that was. And then from that, we asked questions like, what happened afterwards? Was it a one-time thing? How would you categorize that? That could could have broke down into a million different ways. When you had sex, were you did you consider them your boyfriend or girlfriend or your partner, your spouse? Did you consider them of friends with benefits, a one-night stand, or literally acquaintance, a stranger that you just had sex with? Like, can't how would you categorize it? And so we had those assessments. And then we wanted to see how long did it last? <laughs> and how the one night date go for. Yeah. And yeah. and and sometimes the relationships were a a one hour relationship. You didn't speak afterwards, right? You met, you had sex and you were done. And yeah. and and for some people that was actually a very positive outcome. That's something they were looking for with their, their most recent sex partner. But it varied, and, and, and really, we we didn't get anything published off of that. But it was just, for me, it was eye-opening to, to do research that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, hard to explain to your family. <laughs> <laughs> Very hard to explain to your family. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that is really challenging at times um, as a grad student mm-hmm. is being able to describe your research to those around you and um, to family, to friends, uh, even to colleagues at times. It can be kind of challenging. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine trying to explain over uh, Thanksgiving dinner, you know, no, I don't actually do any sexual behaviors when I'm doing this research. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, maybe you do, but... I'm not I'm not watching participants have sex. Like, that's not... <laughs> Yeah, there's the majority of time that's never gonna happen. Like that, <laughs> that's that's not what what sex researchers do. Spoiler, right. there might be a few out there who do that for sure. And like, there are tons of amazing sex researchers now that I know um, that do really important work in mm-hmm. sexual functioning. And <laughs> and obviously, there's research being done on that. 
Yeah. There has to be, right? But yeah. that's not what everybody does. And there's a lot of times it's about relationships or it's about different things within sexuality. And it, they can have big impacts on your life. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. they're, they're so interesting. Interesting. I, I people that don't find that interesting, I can't understand. <laughs> I don't know. I it, it's cool to me, and it was always cool. It was just it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain to your family uh, what you're doing in your thesis, let alone what kind of research that's including sex or sexuality. Like, how do you explain that in a palatable way? Yeah. That's hopefully what we're trying to do here a little <laughs> bit more. But right, right, yeah. So that uh, that was my first. That was my first experience uh with with research and and so now now you kind of have moved on uh into into stuff more involving couples so we actually you know talking about those tinder relationships that have made it or those plenty of fish relationships that are now uh a little bit more than than just an online meeting and a, a text here and there um so you know tell us a little bit about that what 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 kind of work do you do now? What does that look like? I've developed a, a stronger interest in, in what's going on at the couple level or the what we call the dyadic, uh, <laughs> dyadic support. Right. So we're looking at support within a couple. And to me, that's really interesting. I've, I, I was originally interested in trauma. <laughs> and this is a very odd trajectory I, I can t- i can tell you right now <laughs> it went from sex research to trauma to couples and relationships uh and relationships Which was always evolved. yeah absolutely yeah okay and all of them kind of were about relationships they always were i was interested originally in post-traumatic growth which is a subject that touches on basically what people can certain people can grow from trauma or a traumatic event and then others don't. And I want to know, well, why, (laughs) why are certain people doing better than others? And does it have an, it does the person they're with the relationship they're in, does that actually impact that? And so that's how I got to where I am now. And that's the research that I'm interested in now at UBC is I am interested in what's going on with couples and and why certain types of support or uh, different types of coping can really impact that relationship or your health, especially your health is what I'm interested in because people can be in really crummy relationships their whole life and you can see physical impairments because you're with someone that's not supporting you or you need different types of support or you cope poorly within that relationship and and that's cool to me and that's something that i'm i'm starting to get into um right now with my work so that's sort of the work that you've been you've been on and and the trajectory or the thoughts that have been um dictating a lot of the work that you do um now we're both we're both sort of finishing or coming up to the end of our ma theoretically uh sorry our master's thesis um master's degree uh how so how does how does what you've done in the past how is that currently affecting uh, the work that you're doing or or how is how has that led you what is the trajectory of the previous work that you've done uh and how has that led and fed into your uh, current thesis work yeah so i 
had the luxury of being in a phenomenal lab at UBC and uh, I'm in the the health and coping uh, studies lab with uh, and Dr. Anita Delongis as my supervisor. And I have the luxury of working with all these, this wonderful data on health outcomes of uh, support and the way that you cope and things like that. Uh, so the work that I'm doing right now uh, in my thesis is I'm, I'm basically looking at post-traumatic stress within paramedics uh, and looking at how their post-traumatic symptomology, so the symptoms that they experience that are related to post-traumatic stress disorder, how their coping strategies or how they perceive stress impact whether or not they will have greater or maintain their their post-traumatic symptomology so within that essentially there's a lot to unpack and it's it's what we are looking at and what we're finding is that the way that you can you can cope in a way that really does impact your health uh and i think that's the big takeaway from what i'm trying to do in my master's and in my going forward Mm-hmm. I want to look at what impacts you uh, or what changes your health in the long run that you can really change or coping strategies that you can use uh, that'll actually benefit you in the long run. Yeah. Uh, and it's been shown time and time again that rumination is a coping strategy that really has negative maladaptive and just just negative in general (laughs) just bad bad. it's a bad coping strategy generally 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 okay yeah uh and it can predict uh future depression and ptsd uh if you're exposed to traumatic events and you and you tend to ruminate or you perceive it as a stressful event Mm -hmm. um the ruminating on it can actually lead to um, a greater likelihood of having PTSD really? or depression. Yeah. And so really negative outcomes out of, out of um, this coping strategy. If I understand correctly, this, uh, this coping strategy alone is almost uh, helping dictate sort of the outcomes that you could have from this, this event. Yeah. I, I, I would say that, what you how you respond to a stressful situation can sev- can severely impact the out- the health outcomes that you have um rumination for anybody that doesn't know ruminate what rumination is is essentially it's cyclical or repetitive thoughts that focus on an event or an emotion uh, without any real positive reappraisal or any positive outcome coming from that thought so everybody i'm 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 fairly certain everybody has ruminated on something in their life um you said something stupid to a bartender or a girl (laughs) that you were talking to or a guy that you're coming up you're interested in talking to or you were in class you sent a bad message on tinder yeah you you post something on facebook and and you don't get enough likes or something like that okay yeah and and you spend a lot of time thinking about that dwelling on it 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's very closely related to worry, but rumination is essentially not being able to move forward or come up with any positive outcomes fr- okay. from some event that you had, some stressful event. And so for me, I'm interested going forward uh, and seeing what kind of things you can do within a relationship, how you cope with your partner, or how if your partner's having a bad day, how are you supporting them? Uh, and what are you doing as an individual to help them cope or yourself to cope? And what are they doing for you that you need, right? So mm-hmm. there's tons of ways of going about that, but that is essentially the work that I'm doing. And, and I'm, I enjoy it. I, I really do. <laughs> no, that's really neat. Um, I think there's, uh, for a lot of people, some, some really interesting applications to that research. Um, uh, actually, why don't you, do you have any ideas on? Yeah. So, so I mean, like there's, there's definitely a lot of ways that you can measure support that people might not intuitively think about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, say Kyle, that you are my, spouse (laughs) and we are a unit uh if that were the case i would i would have support receipt i would receive support from you and that's one thing and then i would also provide support to you okay so those are two different things that you have to measure when you're when you're talking about support or where you're measuring support right so it's about it's about uh support if i understand what you're saying is it's about the give and the take absolutely okay absolutely and then there's other things that you have to account for when you're doing support work where there is your need for support and the support that you actually provided to your partner so those are two different things right right yeah. uh you have a need for support that might not be the same as me kyle needs more support than i do he's very needy (laughs) and so if i'm providing support to you that support might not be enough for you but it could be if i was receiving the same amount of support from you they might be enough for me and that's the difference in need for support and then support provision or actually being like the support receipt so so depends on what you need right uh it's very interesting and 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 there's other things like support seeking. So how much you see, you seek support. So actively seeking that support. Uh, some people don't seek any support, but really want the support or they need that support. Mm-hmm. And that can be, a, that can change dynamics completely. Right. And right. so, so yeah. those are the kind of things that are really interesting to me. And the, the, the topic that I'm really getting interested in now is invisible support. And so, yeah, tell Actually, tell us about that. That's, <laughs> I mean, I think I think what we when we think about support, we always think about it as coming in some some sort of um, maybe not maybe not entirely tangible, but certainly in a measurable way, mm-hmm. um, or maybe maybe measurable isn't even the best way of describing it. But but coming in some form that we can actually really uh, think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas it sounds like invisible support is is quite different. Yeah. So. Invisible support is the idea that you can support your partner without them really knowing um, that you're supporting them. And so the way that you measure invisible support is you have both partners reporting 
on a daily basis, what we call daily diary studies or intensive longitudinal design. And you have these support interactions that are occurring. So, so you can come home and do the dishes for your partner because you know it was a stressful day. And the way that we know, the way that we categorize invisible support is that I did the dishes and I reported that I gave, I provided support to my partner. But my partner reports that I, she never received any support. That would be what you would categorize as invisible support. And there's different ways of, there's different formats this can take and, and different things that you can, uh, that can be categorized into this invisible support. But it's essentially showing that even if you don't realize your partner supporting you, mm-hmm. it actually has, and, and literature has shown, that there are very positive outcomes from having this invisible support. Really? Yes. So so uh, your partner doesn't even have to be consciously aware of the fact that you're doing something uh, to, to aid them or to support them in some way. Yeah. That's sufficient. Wow. Yeah. It is fascinating that you don't have to receive it. You don't have to be aware of receiving it. Uh, if it's provided to you, it, it could be positive in the, in the long term. So if your partner is really providing support for you, uh, regardless of if you see it or not, it might actually be positive for you. Uh, obviously seeing some support will help you in the long run. <laughs> if you only receive invisible support, if your partner only does dishes when you're angry, that might not save yeah. you, but it's a very cool premise and it's a very cool line of work. Oh, absolutely. Um, so sort of what you were saying, what about, what about a relationship where the, uh, you know, how long can invisible support be supportive is is there uh, to your knowledge at least is there sort of a a time stamp or time limit on it uh before it becomes an expected uh expected outcome not to my knowledge um to my understanding it's relatively new so like well hopefully it'll be uh further developed but Support is a very, there's a matching hypothesis with, with support that's very, like, very popular in the literature. And this matching support is that you will do the best or you will see the most positive outcomes if the support that you need is matched by the support that you're actually getting. So if you need support, like emotional support, there's different types of support that you can receive. Emotional is one of them. Uh, problem focus is another one. Mm-hmm. So emotion being, how are you doing today? Uh, is everything all right? Can I help you with anything that like that you're struggling with? Right. And then a problem focus would be, I have financial issues. I need help with this. Can right. I can I get someone to help you with these financial issues? That might be more problem focused. Right, right, right. Uh, right. And trying to fix this problem, right? Right. So it's about um, it's it's about actually removing or reducing the cause of the stress, as opposed to yes, yeah, okay. okay, yes. And so the matching hypothesis is essentially that you need to match the support that someone needs to see positive out- outcomes, and and that makes sense and to me. It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, knowing all of this in your line of research. Uh, are there misconceptions about the work that you do um, or myths about uh, the results of the work that you do <laughs> that have sort of played into uh, played into the mind of 
of people and and have sort of caught hold or become deep rooted that may not actually in fact be supported by uh, current scientific knowledge um the one prevailing thought i guess with my line of research with support research or coping research is that because i do research in this i i know how to cope (laughs) (laughs) it's not me search (laughs) (laughs) or i know how to support individuals just because i know that rumination or ruminating on on stressful thoughts or stressful stressful events is bad doesn't mean i'm impervious to that i very much <laughs> ruminate <laughs> on a lot of things uh honestly the i think the only real thing that that you can assume from people that do research in certain areas is they're aware of what's good right they're aware of what on average or what in these studies is proven to be the best or most beneficial, but it doesn't mean that they can s- flip a switch right, and, right. and be a perfect human being in that, in that <laughs> realm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm also not a therapist. Yep. Yep. <laughs> a lot of the time people assume that as a psych psych, psych major or a, uh, a graduate student in psychology that I can diagnose you. I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, not. A, I mean, sorry, yes, but I also don't want to. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> that's why I'm doing research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm sure we'll touch on this again in future episodes, and I, I think it'll end up being a recurring theme. But, um, you know, one thing that we that we as individuals uh, and, and individual researchers learn is that, you know. And, and hopefully that, you know, we together have learned is that, um, you know, we only do research in a very small area. And so we have, um, you know, we have an expertise in this tiny little niche, this tiny little section of, of knowledge. But we really, we're not experts on the whole field and we, we shouldn't pretend that we are and uh, and we don't, you know. No. And that that's the thing that I think is uh, one of the most challenging sort of uh one of the most challenging things for others to realize is <laughs> hey i you know I, I study this that means i don't know a whole heck of a lot about that and that <laughs> and that's okay and that's yeah. you know that's part of what we do and mm-hmm. and there's there's uh, hopefully hopefully something that we highlight over the next uh well the next however long we do this is that there's a lot of very intelligent a lot of very interesting people out there doing a lot of very different work and um there may not necessarily seem to be a whole lot of overlap and that's that's exactly the point is that we're doing different things and uh you know i think that goes for just about any field too right absolutely not just psychology um so we'll we'll think about finishing up here i'll I'll ask you one more question though uh sort of what are your next steps what 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 is the next study that you're working on or what are the next set of series series of studies that you really want to get going on? It's <laughs> <laughs> a loaded question. Uh, I'm very interested in how support and coping can impact uh, long-term outcomes in people with chronic illnesses. Um, and 
there's a ton of research on this and it's it's a very it's obviously relevant because individual there's so many individuals and everyone like the largest proportion of people ever in history are dying of chronic illnesses or living with chronic illnesses right now and so this research is really important to me not necessarily because i live with a chronic illness but i know that i will or my family members will or my family members or friends are currently living with chronic illness and i want to know how relationships can really impact your overall health in those situations um that's that's where i'm going but i have no clue where (laughs) from there (laughs) i i mean i think you'll probably agree research research sort of follows an idea and then you build on it and uh i think something that we sometimes struggle with is uh we're always we're always trying to be the first and we're always trying to be be there fastest and do it the best possible way and uh one thing that we've that we come to learn is that it, it takes time and and uh so starting <laughs> starting today you know you're not going to get a research project done in a month it's no. just it, it'll never happen and that's okay that's fine <laughs> yeah, exactly and with that that's episode one completed thank you for listening we hope to have you tune in next time cheers the episode we hope that you will share it with your friends and colleagues find previous episodes of brainbuzzpodcast.com and be sure to rate and review the show wherever you find great podcasts the intro track is everything goes performed by poolside the song and the title fit the themes and elements that we want to convey throughout our podcast